1110 wbt Pete Callender here of the coincidentally named Pete Callender Show. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110, and uh, the email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. It's just luck that I got that email address. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Pete Callender, K-A-L-I-N-E-R. Republican Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina and Democratic colleague Kirsten Cinema of Arizona have outlined an 11th-hour immigration deal on Capitol Hill, according to the Washington Post. The deal would set out a path to legalization for 2 million illegal immigrants brought to the United States as children. In exchange for help for those immigrants, labeled dreamers, the deal would pump an additional $25 billion into the federal border patrol and border security, according to the paper. Quote, the bipartisan framework, which is in flux, make sure I pronounce that correctly, the framework would also extend Title 42 for at least a year until a new or until new regional processing centers provided for in the bill could be built. Okay, so Title 42 gets extended for at least a year while they're building regional processing centers, which, you know, government building them, you know it's going to be done in a year. Right. The Trump administration instituted use of Title 42 during the pandemic. Trump's team argued for the immediate expulsion of illegal immigrants because of the public health crisis. Outrage ensued. Regional processing centers, quote, would mirror what is outlined in the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act. That is a bicameral deal proposed last year, and it would hold migrants while they have their immigration cases heard and adjudicated more quickly to replace the current process in which many asylum seekers are released and given a full court hearing, which could be many months away or years. So do you like this idea of a processing center? or multiple processing centers all around the country. So this way, people are held there while their asylum status is determined, rather than catch and release. I don't know. Like, I like this idea. The problem is, I don't trust anybody to implement it. This is the problem. Well, one of the problems. Mitch, welcome to the program. Hello, Mitch. Hi, man. Hey, what's up? Hey, um, I, I actually like what I heard of that deal, but I'm going to give you give you a real reason to be really concerned with Tom Tillis. All right. Um, I've contacted Mr. Tillis about the FBI interfering in two elections now, and they obviously have. Um, and he has written that he believes the FBI simply has a perception problem. Um, well, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. That the FBI's perception is is incorrect, or our perception of the FBI is incorrect. Our perception of the FBI is incorrect. Oh, for Pete's they, sake! They simply have a, a PR problem. They're, they're they're not really doing anything bad. They just have a PR problem. They, you can check his website. He's got a statement out on it. Um, oh my goodness! He got a chance to ask Chris Ray a question not too too terribly long ago. Got any guesses to what he asked Chris Ray about? Insurrectionists, militia, fast and furious, fat. The movie? No, I'm kidding. Why? What is he asking about Fast and Furious for? I'm guessing it was probably an approved question that wouldn't get him in any trouble with Mister Ray, but would also check a box for a lot of conservatives in his base. 
You got it, brother. Mm-hmm. Huh. Fast and furious, that's in case. That's, that's, that, this is the absolute most dangerous situation our country faces right now, is, it, is the FBI and what they're doing to our country. Our republic cannot survive what they're doing. No, I, I, yeah, I'm, I am really concerned with what is being uh, uh, discovered in the big tech companies uh, with the Twitter files uh, that have been released by Elon Musk so far. The continuing application of a thumb on the scale by FBI lawyer uh, Jim Baker while he was at Twitter. And you can blame Elon Musk for not catching it and everybody else for not you know, getting rid of him earlier, but fact remains he was still there and he was still uh, he was still uh, intercepting the documents as they were getting vetted and then released and such. So that's why the term FBI never showed up in any of the first uh, document dump on that first Friday. Um, It's very concerning. I'm going to I'm going to beg you to do something with the position you have. Do not allow the Hunter Biden laptop story to be the Hunter Biden laptop story. It is two things. It is the Mm -hmm. Biden story and it is the FBI story and the FBI is the biggest one of the two stories both are bad right now and so this was what i said to somebody who who, uh there because now they're trying to deflect it and uh, turn it into oh it's hunter biden's laptop and it's because we all want to see his his his, uh his junk and and no now that we have the actual files i mean we knew that the contents were confirmed right we knew that that uh that, that it was his laptop and that the the files on the laptop were uh were his we we knew that going back a year ago maybe longer it's now been repeatedly confirmed by other news organizations. The FBI had it, but now what the Twitter files prove is that not only did the FBI have the information, but you could see the contours of the disinformation campaign, the propaganda effort that was the underway FBI in order to bury it. What's that? The FBI planted that story. The FBI planted what story? The Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation. Right. Russian disinformation story. They planted it. It's their story. Right. Right, because they would because they had already started the Russia collusion story with the Oppo research on Alpha Bank, right, and and uh, and the PP tape. They're really into this PP thing. What's going on with that? I just kind of realized that. Know. Yeah, but folks, it's bad news for a country that wants to be free. Yeah, no, I got you, Mitch. I appreciate the call, buddy. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. Take care. Um, no, it's true. It's it it's now turned into because, and this is why I know there are folks who. Uh, want to dismiss the importance of the uh, of the the Twitter files, but it's not. It, it it's now it, it's now broken containment, right? What it, and this is why they say it, it's never the act; it's the cover up, right? This is what makes it even worse, even worse. It's one thing to have the president as an influence peddling operation, family organization that's maybe compromised, right? Like that's that is a scandal, like all of that stuff, right? But what is even more confirmed at this point is the cover-up that was employed to mask that information of the influence peddling from us. Which, of course, then indicates that there is veracity to the initial claim, right? So you have this claim that was out there, and what happens, the FBI mobilizes to short-circuit it and to hide it from people before the election and to uh, to dismiss anybody that... Uh, 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 that puts it out there and amplifies the message. Uh, you, you don't want them having any kind of a platform. They 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 censor through their uh, big tech allies. Right? They, it was all coordinated. I've gone over. The, I went through the TikTok on this the other day. It's very clear what transpired, thanks to the release of the Twitter files. 
we now know. And Mark Zuckerberg's comments on the Joe Rogan podcast, that confirms it. Now, how come the same sort of effort isn't being undertaken in all of the other big tech companies? Because I know it's not just Twitter. It wasn't just Twitter that was meeting with the FBI on a weekly basis before the election. Right? We, but we know, they're, they, we know they, they went and had meetings with Facebook. What about TikTok? Did they go and meet with the Chinese government running TikTok? Oh, I kid TikTok. Not really. Not really. Delete that app. All right, so the uh, Tillis Cinema deal is one of two immigration proposals that are, are making their way through the Senate, apparently. Another is led by Democratic Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado and Republican Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho. And that focuses on citizenship for illegal immigrant farm workers. Ooh, oh, I have a great idea. How about we take all of the ideas, just roll them all into one big ball of poop, and then pass that. How about that? Oh, I love it. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. If you put everything in there, then everybody will vote for it because they'll all have something they like. What could go wrong? Townhall.com. Retired Colonel Kurt Schlichter. Headline. Just how stupid is Tom Tillis? (laughs) This is the reaction it's getting in conservative media. This is the question of the hour. Just how stupid are Tom Tillis and the rest of the Republican establishment? Are they A, very stupid, B, extremely stupid, or C, transcendentally stupid? The answer is yes. Okay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Stay tuned later in the hour. Your chance to win a uh, gift certificate to Bonefish Grill. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the show. What's up, Jim? Hey, Pete. Hey. Yeah, Tom Tillis. Uh, you know, when the uh, toll lanes down I-77 from Mooresville down to Charlotte, I'm sure you remember that. Oh, I do. Yeah, he was kind of in power in the North Carolina legislature at that time, or he was just, he had just left his, I forget where he's North Carolina. He was the Speaker of the, yeah, he was Speaker of the House. Okay, yeah. And so he was, I'm sure, very instrumental. He won't say anything about it anymore, to my knowledge. But, um, you know, he did that. He was, he was involved in it. I won't say he did it, but he was very involved in that decision. Well, he came out of North Mech. He was up in Huntersville on the town council up there. And remember a guy named John Rhodes, state representative, bane of existence, of uh, the existence of, uh, House Speaker Jim Black. Uh, John Rhodes, he was a big deconsolidation guy. He was like a Tea Party guy before the Tea Party hit. And, uh, John Rhodes, uh, Tom Tillis, uh, primaried. John Rhodes, and but he came out of I think it was the Huntersville or maybe it was Cornelius I forget but he was on one of the town councils up there and um, and then uh, primaried Rhodes and then to his credit Tom Tillis um, mobilized and did this big statewide effort and uh, uh, lined up candidates and took control helped to you know lead the Republican revolution that took control of the the state house uh, in 2010. Well, uh, I've always been suspect of the way he wrote, he's risen to power, uh, particularly because of that road deal. 
I mean, but first of all, it was a toll lane, not mm-hmm. a third lane, which uh, I-77 still desperately needs. And and then, to top it off, it's controlled and managed and contracted through a Spanish company. I never have figured that out, Who, which, by the way, has had numerous issues mm-hmm. with other projects they have around the United States. And they currently have a pretty long complaint list for this section right here on I-77. Mm-hmm. That, that's the number one comment. But, Pete, the, the northern senators, the Schumers, the Durbans, from the states they're from, they can, they can stay hard left and do whatever they want. You know, say just about anything they want leaning toward the hard left. Tillis in North Carolina, Lindsey Graham uh, very much so down in South Carolina, they got to play the middle to keep getting reelected. They got to play the middle, and they're going to have to pull a bunch of Democrats with them to, to win the next time they're up. I don't think uh, that's so much the case for Lindsey Graham. Now, so just let's keep focus on Tom Tillis because I think there is there is truth in what you're saying, and this is why I got a like I got a tweet that asks, uh, is he going to be switching parties or something? Like, there's no value for him to try to do that. I, and I don't know. I've not spoken to Tom Tillis about any of this. So I don't know. It it doesn't seem like that would be a good move because he would be primaried real quick in a Democrat primary. Because the Democrats do not like him. And cutting one or two of these deals, that's not going to that's not gonna uh, endear him to them. They, they will be like, thanks for the vote, sucker. We're done with you. So yeah. I, I don't see that yeah. as the play. Yeah, but Pete, that's what—that's exactly what he's working on right now. There's more registered Democrats than there are any other, either independents or Republicans in North Carolina. North Carolina, as we speak, is is dramatically changing demographically as far as the R's and D's with the people that are pouring in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he here can't win. Life, I've never seen—I've never seen anything like it right now. So it's going to change. Uh, but he uh, cannot win the Democrat primary. He could not win a Democrat primary. The architect of the architect of the Republican takeover of the General Assembly, the, uh, like the guy who gave, he gave us Amendment One. You think you you think he would win Democrat votes in this state? Oh, well, I'm I'm not sure what you're saying. You in saying the primary, switch and run as a uh, as a Democrat. Right, right. Like this, if this is a play, I mean, I understand a play towards the middle in a general election. I understand that. But somebody asked if is he looking to switch parties? Is this a play for Democrat votes? And maybe it is, but I don't think Democrat voters are going to remember this in four or five years when he's up for re-election. If in fact he chooses to run for re-election, well, I I contend that he is, mm-hmm. and and that's it. he'll run as an R, and uh, but he's going to in order to succeed. He's going to pull a lot of Democrat votes, and one of the things he's doing is what decision he just made on this marriage issue just in the last few days, and will continue to make. And then the the, the proposals he's just come up with with all these illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. uh, that's right down the middle and or leaning to the Democrat side mm-hmm. as far as um, proposals and programs. Right. Well, and I'm not, and I'm not sure if there's if he's. I'm not sure what the eye is towards, because, look, even if it doesn't work, even if it doesn't happen, then at least he's somewhat insulated, you know, from attacks in another reelection fight. Now, the other side of this is maybe he's not interested in reelection and maybe he's he's going to be done. And so this will help him, you know, land a talking head gig on a whole bunch of other networks 
instead of, you know, being seen as an arch conservative only on Fox News, he could, you know, be more of a moderate Chris Christie type of figure and be a lot more in demand on different stations. Yeah, well, that too. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This is all just speculative on my part. I have no idea. Yeah, well, these senators, in my humble opinion, they get right in the middle. They may run uh, as an R and a conservative, but as soon as they get elected, they're right in the middle, straddling uh, both sides and working toward that reelection in six years. That's exactly what they're doing, and that's exactly the way they maintain power for so long. So, are you. Right. Well, Jim, let me ask you. Be a Democrat, but right. So, all right. So, let me ask then, Jim. Isn't that what someone who is elected in a state like ours? Isn't that what they precisely should be doing if that's where the majority of the residents are? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's uh-huh. exactly what he's doing. Uh-huh. He, ideological wise, he may oppose immigration. I don't know, but he's working on his reelection. That's what it shows me. Right, and so he's trying to so he's trying to do what most of the people want because then that would give him electoral success. So, in in other words, the right policy is the right uh, political move. Exactly. Okay. The most registered voters in North Carolina are still Democrats, even though there's a huge growing independent of which I am one. Actually, uh, unaffiliateds are now number one, and unaffiliateds well, and, and unaffiliateds vote more for Republicans than they do for Democrats. Well, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, I'm an affiliate as well. We just passed Democrats a couple months ago. So, yeah, we're number one. All right, Jim, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thank you. You, you bet. All right, take care. Uh, so, Colonel Kurt Schlichter, retired U.S. Army colonel, um, has a piece at townhall.com. says, you think the party's leadership has reached peak dumb, and then, for the first and only time in history, the GOP exceeds your expectations. You might think in the wake of yet another couple of humiliating defeats that the establishment would undertake a deep and searching personal inventory. But if it did that, then it would not be the dumbest leadership of the dumbest party in American politics. And keep in mind, American politics includes the Libertarian Party. We have three big issues right now where the GOP establishment is at a fork in the road. One path ahead is consistent with conservative principles with the base's inclinations, and with not being brain-dead halfwits. The other path is what the Republican elite will probably do. Issue 1. Senator Tom Tillis's inexplicable decision to cavort with the communists to secure amnesty and ensure the resulting chain migration of millions of people who will follow behind the illegal aliens he wants to reward for breaking our laws. This is part of the... Part of the issue here is the chain migration, which is as soon as you get, like, if you get a family member uh, to become a citizen, they then get to uh, have chain migration, and and their relatives then get access to the system in a way that new arrivals do not. Um, This was put in place, I want to say, you know, Kennedy ran this back, uh, Ted Kennedy did this back in the 67 bill, I want to say, is where this all started, but... um, this is the big this is the big problem. It's not just going to be 2 million people. Tillis he says, "Look, Tillis was never going to get confused with Stephen Hawking, but this is a remarkably dumb move even by GOP standards. It is terrible policy that directly insults the base after the party has blown two unblowable elections in a month and helps our enemies. It's a lose-lose-lose. 
Perhaps he convened a council of renowned idiots to come up with the initiative. I'm not sure about that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Icky on Twitter points out, White males fare pretty poorly in Democrat primaries nowadays. That is true. That is true. So, yeah, I don't... Like, I'm not a mind reader. I don't really try to engage in the speculation stuff. You know, you, I'm just trying to look at the... Like, what are the merits of this proposal that Tillis has put together with Kristen Sinema? And they're trying to, you know, whip up some of the votes for this thing. But from a strategy standpoint, why are you trying to do a solid for the Democrats in the lame duck session before the next session when Republicans will be able to block stuff in the House? Why would you try? Why why would you do this? Now, maybe he thinks that, like, I really want a deal and this is the best kind of deal we're going to get. And part of the problem with the immigration argument, especially as it pertains to the uh, to the dreamers, is that they're the sympathetic demographic. A lot of people are okay with the concept of giving them an access point because if they got brought over as a four month old or something, that's not really their fault. Right. They had no control over it. And a lot of hardliners will say, I don't care. Send them back. But this is literally the only country they've ever known. So. They are a sympathetic demographic. The problem with that is that both sides in the debate get to use them. Both sides use them because they know that, oh, I agree with you on this. Oh, and I know you agree with me on this, too. So I'm going to put this in as a sweetener, and then I'm going to add this other thing in there. And they become a pawn rather than doing what normal people would do, which is to say, hey, if we all agree on this idea, then why don't we just do that thing? We'll take care of these people. And you could for, like you could lock out any kind of chain migration. Something you can create a des, you could designate a certain classification, a certain window, right, for when people arrived, when they were a certain age. Like they could tailor it and take care of this particular group of people and solve a problem. But there I go again, trying to solve problems. And there, I think a lot of people are not really interested in that. And maybe Tillis and Cinema are actually interested in trying to solve this dreamer problem. Of course, the the problem that arises with their proposal is the chain migration element and the Lucy kicking the football problem, which is we'll totally do border security just as soon as you give us this amnesty. You get the amnesty and then they never do the security. That's the way this has gone. All right, let me go over here and get Tom on the program. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. Uh, I've been listening to what you've been talking about, and I, I asked Alexa about uh, same-sex marriage, and the Supreme Court legalized, said it was legal in 2015, and even though I don't know of any religions that, that approve of it. It's an abomination unto God. And uh, There are religions that approve of it. What the doing with this thing? It's insane. What do you, so what, I don't care what party you belong to. There's people that don't agree in homosexuality and all LBG stuff. Yeah. And why is the Supreme Court deciding how we have to live our lives? They're not deciding how you have to live your life on that. Have them use our churches? 
So, Tom, there are churches. You know, have you heard there's a big split going on with the uh, the Methodist Church right now? Have you heard about that? No, but no, yeah, the Methodist Church is splitting because of this very issue. They, they there is a part of the church that does not want to engage in the gay marriage ceremonies, and there's another part that does. So there, like, there are churches that that recognize gay marriage that perform the services. Sure. Now you may disagree with that, but then don't go to that church. Well, actually, I ran up against that kind of a problem, except it wasn't gay marriage. It was that when a minister uh, had a bunch of visitors for summer, some uh, they were watching over them, uh, and in church he announced that uh, we no longer believe in miracles and a couple other things that's mm. in the Bible. Uh, the last time I w- went to that church. So either you accept the Bible, and if you're a minister that just kowtows, Everything like that that's going on now, I don't want any part of your church. Yeah, well, that's... I don't know if it's the whole church or just that minister. It's probably... Well, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, I think there are some there are some issues that come down from, you know, the national organizations or, or uh, uh, governing bodies or whatever you have uh, in different churches that will dictate certain policies. But then, you know, there are other small churches that start up, and it's just that one church, just that one minister. So it's it, it's, it could be both. Either or. I mean, just it depends on what church you're going to. So, yeah, I mean, I, well, I fully endorse freedom. See, uh, the, the freedom to choose. So you have that freedom to choose. If you are going to a church and they say stuff that you don't like, then you don't go back. Sure. Yeah, but most churches in the, in the world are founded on the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And if the Supreme Court goes against the Ten Commandments... Uh, I don't know what to say about the upper end of the church if they try to change it. Well, the Supreme Court is not the church, right? The Supreme Court is not the church, so that's so they're they're two different things, right? The the freedom not to accept or do anything to to endorse what they're doing because I consider it an abomination under God. All right, well, fine. I would submit, then, that you should not attend a gay marriage, you should not perform one, nor should you get gay married. Well, as long as they try to pass a law that says I have to, I can't discriminate against them. Well, that's it. No, and this is the fight. It's about um, the fight is over whether or not a person's religious beliefs will protect them from the force of government. And so while I can disagree with you on your religious beliefs— I agree with you that the government should not be forcing you to do things that conflict with your religious beliefs, right? That's the that's the fight that's going on. That's what the court case was about. Another one out of Colorado with the website design uh, uh, company, right? Same thing with the baker and all of that. Meanwhile, you just had a uh, some uh, Right to Life group, I think, that was just kicked out of a restaurant up in Virginia two days ago uh, because of their because of their uh, position on abortion. And uh, all of the people that have been telling me that the guys have to bake the cake or else they're a bigot, uh, I'm not hearing a lot of uh, defense of the uh, of the the right to life group in that case. But Tom, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, let me get is this Christian. Hello, Christian. Welcome to the program, hey. Christian. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good. What's up? I just wanted to say that uh, I believe that the compromise or the immigration compromise is actually a good thing. Okay, uh, and I believe that. You know, the last time anything nearly happened was, I believe, the shutdown with you know Trump trying to get the wall and 
uh, you know, trying to get the military funds and whatnot. Yeah. And I think Trump offered to uh, give him a, a, a citizenship to a, a lot of dreamers in exchange for the wall funding, but the Democrats denied it. Right. I don't, I don't know the exact specifics on what the security would look like, but I think any security is good security. I think most Americans can agree that dreamers do deserve citizenship. Uh, well, the, the polling says that they do. The polling says that most Americans do think that the dreamers should get, like I said, they're a very sympathetic demographic because of the circumstances under which they came. The problem is, is that throwing more money at, quote, border security, if w- without policy reconstruction, doesn't solve the problem. Right now, if you're going to build, if they're saying they're going to build these uh, processing centers and they're going to actually hold people before their asylum hearings rather than catch and release, I like that idea. I do. The problem is, that is part of the bill. Do you know that it is that well part of their their framework as they're calling it. That's I mean, and who knows what the final bill looks like, right? Because right. It, you, because it's not something that they're going to set up immediately. They, they're going to have to build them, so it's going to take time. And as that process unfolds, do Democrats pull the plug on that so they get their amnesty? For the for the dreamers, and then they pull the plug on the border security because that's what traditionally has occurred. That's the yeah. problem. That's a good point. I will admit. I just hope that doesn't happen. But you know. yeah, no, I hear you, Christian. Appreciate the call. Yeah, this is this is the problem. There isn't any trust that once the deal gets done, it's going to be followed through on as it was agreed to, because it hasn't been the case in years past. And as George Bush said, right, trick me or fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you won't fool me again, I think is what the quote was. All right, so townhall.com, retired Army Colonel Kurt Schlichter, uh, just dragging Tom Tillis and the Republican leadership uh, over first Tillis's immigration deal that he's hammering out with uh, Democrat Kirsten Cinema. And I said this, by the way, the other day. I said, it appears to me that Tillis is trying to be sort of the, the, the deal maker, and there's power in that. No doubt about it. If, if 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 you can end up like, and this is why they always have those gangs of eight or gangs of six, right? They always have this little core group because if you're in that middle, this is like uh, the Supreme Court, Anthony Kennedy, right? You're in that middle seat. You got clowns to the left of you, jokers to the right, and you're in that middle. You can then dictate the course of the legislation your priorities become more important because you're able to swing a vote, yes or no. And so both sides, both leadership sides, are going to ask you what you want. You've got more power in the negotiation. So I'm sure that's part of this as well. And I got to see what the final bill looks like. I know, I'm kind of old-fashioned like that. Like I'd like to see what it says before... I blow a gasket over what it does or doesn't do or or whether or not we're getting our clocks cleaned or or not. But but history tells me that it's going to be a bad deal because I'm not sure really of of any kind of historical precedent for good immigration law. (laughs) So uh, I don't have a lot of high hopes for this one. Kurt Schlichter, he is uh, he is dragging it. He's saying the Tillis plan is remarkable in its comprehensive idiocy. Basically, Tillis allows millions of illegal aliens to become Democrat voting citizens and import their entire families in return for the Democrats pinky swearing that they will sort of enforce the law that's already on the books, and they'll do it a little bit more than they're doing it now, which is not at all. No wall, of course. 
No stepped-up deportations. Nothing but a promise from an administration that has already refused to keep its promise to enforce the law. See? And therein lies the problem. We don't trust you because you haven't been doing this thing that you are now promising to do. You are already you swore an oath to do this thing. You're refusing to do it. You've gone to court in order to block others from doing the thing that you refuse to do. Right? Like you Democrats do not even allow the states. They they went and sued so the states could not do border enforcement. They said, "No, get out of here. That's our job that we're not going to do." Like they they took active measures to prevent people from providing border enforcement, border security. So, when someone tells you what they are and who they are and what they believe, listen, right? Listen to them. And so I've been listening to them, and what it sounds like to me is the Democratic Party over the last 10 years, I mean, that's really how long it's been, because under Obama, Barack Obama said some really, like, um, hawkish positions on immigration. So did Joe Biden. Not that he remembers that, but uh, Hillary Clinton, like the, the Democratic Party leadership, Chuck Schumer, they, they were all way more uh, closed border hawkish uh, on, uh, on this issue 10 years ago. The stuff that they said 10, 15 years ago today, and these are the very same people that are still in power now, very same people, if they were to say now what they said then, they would be run out of their party. So, no, I don't trust them because they have they, they have gone so far left on this. They are essentially, uh, they're, they're at the point of uh, almost Libertarian Party open borders. Seriously. And that's, that's one of the major reasons why I refuse to be a part of the Libertarian Party, because I don't believe that you can be a nation without borders. I know it's kind of crazy. It's like, well, but we shouldn't even have nations. Okay, well, I'm out. You and I disagree. I'm okay with the concept of nations because I understand human nature. Human nature is to order ourselves. We do it in family structures. We do it just all the time. We order, we order ourselves in you know, affinity groups and civic organizations and local government. So that's, I, I think that's human nature. We are a pack animal, even though libertarians tend to be loners, either voluntarily or not. I kid, I kid. But, that, but seriously, like we are pack animals and you have to be able to live in this society with other people. So we have to set up some guardrails and some rules and such. And part of that is to say, well, where do those rules extend to and where do they stop and how do we uh, allow people to make different decisions? Well, borders serve that purpose, right? We have borders here that say, okay, we have one philosophy. We recognize you have a different philosophy on this stuff, so you can live over there. And this line right here, well, that's your area, and this is our area. And if people want to live under your rules, they can go live with you. And if they don't like that, they can come live with us. If they don't like either of us, then they could go to this other place, start somewhere else or whatever, right? You got to have borders. And they got to be enforced. You got to know who's coming in. They got to sign the guest book. Otherwise, what do you really have? What is it actually? Right? If no borders, what is a nation? What is America? Just an idea? Oh, like Antifa. We're just an idea.